This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is Vendor on Psoriasis with Dr. Ron Vendor. Based on the popular Vendor on Psoriasis column in the Chronicle of Skin and Allergy, Dr. Vendor provides brief synopses of recent significant clinical developments in psoriasis research, and provides his observations and comments to accompany each report. In each episode, Dr. Vendor will answer questions and offer his expert observations and anecdotes on treating this chronic disease. If you have a question for him, or want to be in touch at any time, just send an email to vendor at chronicle.org. That's V-N-D-E-R at chronicle.org. And, if you attach a voice clip, we might even use your question on an upcoming episode. Support for this podcast comes from Sun Pharma Canada. Sun Pharma is a world leader in specialty therapeutics and is now positioned to be an even larger contributor to the Canadian dermatology landscape. Learn more at www.sunpharma.com. And now, here's Jeremy Visser. Thanks, Leona, for that kind introduction. I'm Jeremy Visser of the Chronicle of Skin and Allergy. You're listening to the first episode of the Vendor on Psoriasis podcast, with Dr. Ron Vender. Today, Dr. Vender will be talking about research involving treatment efficacy using PASI scores, treating plaque psoriasis with Botox, as well as the independent mortality risk associated with psoriasis. Dr. Vender, our first study is a post-hoc analysis of tildrakizumab phase 3 clinical trials of patients with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. The authors posit that disease activity was more reliably estimated by PASI scores as opposed to percentage PASI improvements. What's your take on this? Well, thank you for inviting me uh, for this podcast, Jeremy. Tiltrakizumab is a new anti-IL-23 that has been recently approved in Canada, and their phase three clinical trials looked not only at PASI improvement percentages, but looked at residual PASI. PASI improvement as defined by PASI 75, PASI 90, or PASI 100, meaning that the PASI score has improved 75% or 90% from the baseline, is the typical way that we look at treatment response. However, this study has looked at absolute PASI values by reporting median PASIs and mean PASIs as well. I think this is very clinically relevant. When I see a patient that is in my office, I'm performing the PASI that is static at that time. I'm not looking at the PASI improvement. The overall improvement is discussed with the patient in terms of quality of life, reduction of body surface area, but also improvement of redness, thickness, and scale, which sort of calculates all into PASI. But what the patient provides at the time of visit is an absolute PASI, and that is quite meaningful. An absolute PASI is just a single number and different levels have been looked at with respect to residual redness, thickness, and scale. And in this study, they provided percentages of PASI scores less than five, less than three, and less than one. And when someone tells me that they've had a 90% improvement of PASI, 
they could have started very, very high. They could have started at a PASI of 30 and reduced to a PASI of three, which is sort of a 90% reduction. And a PASI of three can be quite significant. So by reporting an absolute PASI number such as five, three, or one, and one being very much improved, it tells me what is left on the patient, not necessarily what they started with. We see improvements with biologics all the time, and we often look at the percent of improvement, but looking at residual PASI may be more visually understandable. And I think that this way of looking at it is certainly very helpful as it has a meaningful clinical visualization to say that this is all that's left. Next, we have a comparative study looking at botulinum toxin type A versus 5-fluorouracil in treatment of plaque psoriasis. What are your thoughts on this, Dr. Vendor? Thanks for that question, Jeremy. Botox has certainly found many uses in dermatology, starting with cosmetic uses, but also has expanded to, for example, temporal mandibular joint discomfort, as well as hyperhidrosis, and also for migraines. So it's not surprising that this study has been done to look at Botox in treating psoriasis. Now, the 5-fluorouracil that was used in the study is certainly not the typical 5-fluorouracil that we're using for actinic keratosis, squamous cell, or basal cell carcinoma, but it's interlesional, so it's a subcutaneous or a liquid form or injectable form of 5-fluorouracil, which is not really used often in dermatology practice. People have tried uh, 5-fluorouracil interlesional for plantar warts, for example, in the past, and now it was used as a comparator for Botox in treating psoriasis. One would not have thought that Botox could give an improvement for psoriasis when used interlesionally, and the pathophysiology is not really well understood. The study did show that the Botox response rate was 85%, and how that response rate was measured is showing improvement of the redness, thickness, and scale in the plaques. But also 90% of 5-fluorouracil patients that had that type of injection showed improvement. And there was a very low recurrence rate on both sides of about 15%. However, I think that physicians often try and sway away from intralesional injections, which can be very painful for the patient, as well as causes localized bleeding and such. So in terms of the interest showing that 85% response rate was shown with Botox and 90% 5-fluorouracil, I'm not sure that this is clinically relevant, whether this will be going on in clinical practice, especially due to the cost or to the discomfort. However, it may be a useful tool to use for very resistant plaques, which can occur occasionally in patients that have moderate to severe psoriasis and are having systemic treatment or even biologic treatment for which the commonly used topical therapy doesn't work. That 
residual type of plaque or the tough plaque or the plaque that the patient is stuck with may require other treatment and has failed topical therapy or even intralesional steroid. So this is something that could be attempted based on this single study. However, more patients would have to be studied and give relief to those patients that suffer from resistant plaques of moderate to severe psoriasis. I also could see this being used in the scalp area, which is often resistant to topical treatment, but also can be resistant to systemic treatment as well. So overall, I think it's a very interesting, innovative type of study. I'm glad that they used this comparison. However, I would have suggested a comparison to interlesional steroid, which is the commonly used one instead of uh, 5-fluorouracil. A new study has added fresh evidence supporting previous findings regarding the independent mortality risk associated with psoriasis. The study reports that psoriasis patients have double the risk of mortality than those who do not have psoriasis. Dr. Vender, what's your experience with these findings? Thank you for that question and bringing this paper to my attention. It was a very well done study looking at the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey which surveyed many, many thousands of patients. It was retrospective, and they looked at this cohort of adults and adolescents that were older than 10 years old, and there was over 13,000 of them. And these patients had to have participated in the National Health and Nutrition Exam surveys. And that was done in the early 2000s and also 2009, 2010. Now, these are self-reported which is a bit difficult to try and interpret because the understanding of the patients to some of the questions, although may have been easily stated, can be fraught with bias or difficulty. They did look at and adjusted these psoriasis patients for demographics and smoking and also comorbidities, including cardiovascular disease, diabetes, COPD, cancer, chronic kidney disease, and also stroke. And we know that these comorbidities are associated with psoriasis, such as metabolic syndrome and diabetes, and there's no mention to arthritis here. However, these comorbidities can contribute to mortality. However, these were adjusted for such confounding factors. And there was still double the amount of deaths with psoriasis patients compared to those patients that did not have psoriasis. Now, we cannot remove all the confounding factors and individual risk factors because sometimes even if you remove the confounding factors such as smoking and diabetes or uh, cancer, renal disease, and smoking, let's just say there is not clear evidence of the total causative factors that can occur by combining these two. And there was still a double the risk of mortality. So it's bad enough that psoriasis is a devastating and psychologically devastating skin disease that causes decrease in sleep and pruritus and 
embarrassment, but these patients have comorbidities that contribute to a reduction in lifespan. And so what we knew as the heartbreak of psoriasis is actually coming to life. And although people felt that their heart was broken because their skin looked bad, we also now realize that the heartbreak may actually pertain to these comorbidities and although adjusted, increase in mortality. This also could increase amount of depression and suicide that can happen with patients that have psoriasis that may lose hope and may find that nothing has really helped them. And so I always tell my patients, it's always best to seek medical care as early as possible. And so trying to look at whether early treatment may reduce that mortality risk is something else that has to be looked at and the type of therapy that was given if at all, to the particular patients. So for example, if it's a younger patient, they may not have an increase in mortality because they were treated earlier, whereas an older patient may. And so there was no adjustment for age of the patients. So in summary, I would say that psoriasis patients have a lot to worry about. And now these statistics show that they have twice the risk of mortality no matter what they do. So this is just another reason that psoriasis patients need to be taken seriously. And hopefully further studies will show that earlier treatment for younger psoriasis patients can reduce this risk of mortality that could occur later on. Now we have a couple of listeners' questions for you, Dr. Vender. Here's the first from Vancouver. There are a number of different ways of measuring psoriasis clearance. Change in absolute PASI score, median PASI score at different cutoff points. There are also novel PASI-type scoring systems being developed. What should dermatologists keep in mind about clearance measurement when reviewing the literature on psoriasis treatments? Thank you for that question, Jeremy. I think that when reviewing the literature, it's one thing to look at how the PASI response is measured, but there's also have to think of clinical practice. Let's go directly to the question and look at what should readers of literature be aware of. I think they need to be aware of several things when looking at PASI response. One thing is looking at the PASI 75, PASI 90, PASI 100 response, and one has to look at the exact timeline of when those are measured. So for example, some studies will use a primary endpoint of 12 weeks, other will use a primary endpoint of 16 weeks. And so trying to compare these two different studies may be very difficult because that's what we do. We say, okay, biologic X works better than biologic Y because it has a better PASI 90. One has to remember that the difference between biologic X and biologic Y may be a difference of 10 to 15%. Not that it necessarily works better, but that there are more patients that would be captured in terms of a PASI 90. In other words, that you may have these patients that are clear or almost clear for PASI 90, 
but you may have drug Y that has 20% more of those patients. But if you put those patients side by side, you can't really tell which biologic that they're on because they're both clear or almost clear. But if you had 100 patients, then you would see more for the one that has a better PASI 90 response percentage for number of patients. So that's one thing to look at. The second thing is to look at who is doing the PASI itself. Because if you look at the location or geographic location, or even the experience of the PASI raters, I think it's important to look at who was doing the rating. Was it a physician? Was it a dermatologist that was a physician? Was it a nurse practitioner? Was it someone that was just trained to do a PASI and really doesn't have a lot of experience? The clinical trials try to get experienced PASI raters, but that doesn't always occur. And it depends on the training that they've had. The third thing is looking at whether the response is written by PASI percentage response, as I previously mentioned, or absolute PASI. Absolute PASI is certainly easier to understand. It's very visual. If you say someone has a PASI 75% or PASI 75 response, that is 75% better than what they were, but we don't really know what they were. However, if you have a residual or absolute PASI and someone tells me, oh, their PASI they were treated and their PASI is down to one or their PASI is down to three, I can sort of visualize what a PASI three will look like. Now, it doesn't tell me the location. So for example, that could be all on the face and still that's not a good treatment result, or it could be in other sensitive areas as well. But someone telling me that the PASI went down to an absolute PASI of one, I know that that's very, very low disease. Whereas if I'm looking at percentages, I don't know again, what they started at and what they're at now. So looking at absolute PASI is a very nice way of looking at the response and residual disease. Our second question, which comes to us from here in Ontario, is are these reconsiderations of PASI clearance measurements a response to the efficacy of new biologic therapies? I'm not so sure that these reconsideration of PASI clearance measurements are truly a response to the efficacy of the new biologic therapies. In other words, the responses that occur are very, very close to each other. So again, let's just take 100 patients that we treat with biologic X, and if they have a PASI 90 response of, let's say, 70%, and then we have biologic Y, a newer biologic that may have a better response. And the PASI 90 is 80%. So it's telling me that 10% more of the patients will likely be clear or almost clear with biologic Y compared to biologic X. That tells me that both can work very well. But when a new biologic reports an absolute PASI and the improvement, although because it's a newer biologic and the sponsor decided to look at this PASI clearance measurement of, let's say, PASI of less than one or a PASI less than three, it takes us away from that response that we were used to, the PASI 90, the PASI 75, and tells us that residual disease is very, very low, and it's easier to picture. And so I think that dermatologists like visual things 
And I believe that using these absolute PASI tells us that it is a very low disease activity. And so I think for the visualization of the residual response, it may give us more insight. In addition to this, some of the new sponsors are using what are called rainfall plots and looking at a a graph that has a dot representing the initial PASI of all the patients and then several horizontal lines coming from the y-axis that may be an absolute PASI of one or three or five and watching these PASIs drop to that number from wherever they started off. So not a percentage improvement, but this absolute improvement. And looking at these rainfall plots, one can see that after 16 weeks or 24 weeks that these patients have low residual disease by you seeing all the dot plots are all in the lower end of scale instead of just the general histogram of PASI improvement. And so I like this new way. I think that it's time for a change and gives us a better visualization of the patient's response. And our final question, also from the Greater Toronto Area, how effective are existing PASI-type measures at monitoring and measuring long-term psoriasis clearance? The present PASI-type measures that look at monitoring and long-term psoriasis clearance are generally expressed as, again, a PASI 75, PASI 90, or PASI 100. In other words, a 75% improvement of original PASI score, 90% or 100%. What it doesn't tell us is which patients are in those categories. So for example, it is not telling us that the person does maintain a PASI 90. It tells us on average, let's say 70% of patients will maintain a PASI 90 throughout one year or two years or three years. It doesn't tell us that's the same patient that is maintaining it. It tells us on average, all of these patients will maintain a PASI 90. You may have some that come up from PASI 75 into PASI 90. You may have some that worsen in there. And so I think that the percentage of patients that maybe maintain an absolute PASI, such as an absolute PASI of one or three, tells us that it really has low residual skin activity instead of a high response to the activity. So it's just another way of looking at it. Instead of looking at larger numbers, such as large percentage of patients having that response, we could look at a large number of patients having little residual activity. So it's not to look at how full the glass was, but how much is left in the glass. And so think of somebody going to a bar and has a large giant mug of whiskey and saying that they have an ounce left and saying, I finished 99% of it, as opposed to the little shot glass Uh, that they were drinking and saying that they have 99%. They had a lot less to start with, but they still have the same amount left over and they still want to refill. So it doesn't give us a good indication of how bad or how full that glass really was. Thank you, Dr. Vendor. 
Listeners, if you have comments or questions for Dr. Vendor, send them over. Send an email to health at chronicle.org. Add a voice clip attachment to your questions, and you might appear in a future episode of this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Sun Pharma Canada. I'm Jeremy Visser of Chronicle Companies. Your host has been Dr. Ron Bender, founder and director of Venderm Innovations in Psoriasis, a center of excellence for psoriasis, offering a comprehensive management solution for individuals with psoriasis. We'll talk again next week.